0: Check out award-winning Johnson & Boone Solicitors' unique product, LegalGuard. Ideal for businesses and individuals, LegalGuard ensures you get the legal help you need when you need it. Packages start from just £24 a month and include free expert advice access to a library of legal documents, as well as exclusive discounts on a range of services. For more information, visit johnsonandboone.co.uk forward slash legalguard and quote the code for You're listening to Johnson and Boone Solicitors Podcast exclusively on the Pod Station.
1: Welcome, everyone, to episode 24 of the Johnson and Boone Podcast. My name is Mark, and this week we've shuffled the seats. We've got another member of the Johnson and Boone team in. Uh, to do this episode it's uh, Jonathan Field how are we doing John?
2: I'm good thanks Mark yourself?
1: I'm not too bad at all i uh, just spent a couple of days camping so feeling a little bit sore uh, and sorry for myself to be perfectly frank because it would appear camping is for the young people. Uh,
2: that's it it's time to lead these days as well.
1: <laughs> well um, if you're listening to this show for the first time and wondering actually what on earth it is what the team at Johnson & Boone decided was they were going to do a podcast where each episode they choose a topic or indeed invite people to do a topic, which is within the Johnson & Boone team's expertise. Uh, we delve into it in a bit more detail. We discuss some of the finer points uh, about what it is, what you might want to keep your eye out for because you don't want to get caught on it. Uh, Hopefully to give you some tips so you can try and avoid finding yourself in a problem where you might need some legal assistance, Uh, I'm feeling which, just to point you in the direction of when you might be best getting in contact with the likes of the Johnson and Boone team to get some help to maximise or indeed minimize the budget you need to solve that problem uh this is episode 24 so there are 23 other shows you can go and listen to Uh, you can find them on the johnson and boone website which is johnsonandboone.co.uk there's a podcast tab if you just click on that it'll show you all the previous shows and on all of those shows there is a link to all the major podcast platforms So you can easily subscribe, and then the next time every episode drops, it'll automatically download onto your device. Um, So it's as easy as that, really. Uh, If you want to be particularly lazy, and I say lazy, I suppose it's more convenience, really, you can actually download the Johnson & Boone mobile app, which is free on both Apple and Android app stores. Aside from a whole host of other features that you can use on there, whether it be Booking appointments with the likes of Jonathan to get some advice, looking at the services uh, and a whole range of other things like accessing the Legal Guard product, which uh, you can find out more about uh, by visiting johnsonboon.co.uk forward slash Legal Guard. Uh, you can also listen to all of the podcasts there, they're all listed and dead easy. You just press play and off you pop. So, uh, without further ado, let's crack on. Uh, Jonathan, what is it that we're going to be doing today, my friend?
2: Hi, Mark. tonight we're looking at um, disclosure of documents within the context of a civil litigation claim, uh, some of the pitfalls and the requirements that need to be met in relation to um, court orders and basically just trying to get a bit more uh, understanding for people in, in what needs to be done.
1: We're going to be making disclosure sexy. That's the one. <laughs> well, I guess this ties into, if you go back into episode four and uh, listen to the show, which I think I did with Rob, um, about commercial litigation, or sorry, about litigation, it ties in nicely with this because it forms very much part and parcel of the process as a whole. What do we mean by disclosure and inspection? What What is it? What's the point of it? Why, why is it relevant?
2: Well, when a claimant brings a claim or a defendant defends a claim, Most of the time, they're relying on specific documents to prove their case or support their case. So the disclosure requirements are basically what you're going to use to say, this is my case and this is why. Um, Various documents can be included within that. So obviously, you're going to get um, any of your expert reports. So for example, in a personal injury claim, you'll have um, medical evidence or expert engineering evidence. Uh, You may have videos or pictures or documents that you need to rely on in order to support your case, such as a loss of earnings calculation, that sort of thing as well. Um, This is what you say to the court is my case, and that's the evidence that you'll put before the court, obviously, to put your point across. Um, The defendants in that sort of situation equally may have their own evidence to put back in, so they might have their own expert report, or a counter-medical report or their own engineering evidence. Um, and also if they're counter-claiming, they may have their own documents to bring their own claim back against you as well. Literally, the, the idea behind it is to allow the court to make a just decision on the basis of actual evidence rather than just the say-so of either party
1: now I remember uh, now going back when I first started practicing law uh, there was two elements the first was that the civil procedure rules which you mentioned repeatedly throughout the episodes was was relatively new um, I was also trained by two criminal, lawyers who had predominantly been criminal lawyers anyway and in the criminal world it was very much a case of you keep your evidence close to your chest as late as possible and you only reveal it when you absolutely have to in the hope you'll catch the other party off guard, blow their case out of the water or not give them enough chance to deal with the issues that you uh, introduced. Um, The kind of (laughs) <laughs> they kind of took a similar approach to a degree within the civil uh, side of things, which is probably the more relevant area that people are listening who are listening to the show will be uh, interested in. Uh, but of course, the civil procedure rules required a certain element of proactivity. But because the rules had only just been introduced, then it was still very much. Um, A grey area as to how early people would disclose things and quite often you'd have some real difficulties getting hold of documents you knew the other party had but hadn't necessarily given it to you just Mm -hmm. yet. Um, It's significantly different now because we're talking nearly 20 years on. Um, In fact, we are. We're talking over 20 years on since the uh, civil procedure rules have been introduced. So, nowadays... I think the vast majority of the practising lawyers have probably only ever known that be the case. Uh, so, <laughs> do you want to explain how it works in practice now? Because I guess what what I'm, I think will be very interesting to look at is both how it's supposed to be done and actually how it is done in some instances because I think both you and I, before we... Uh, in, in the green room, we'll call it, before we started recording, we're discussing how litigants in person and how the courts apply these rules for litigants in person isn't necessarily as stringent as they are required for the the legal world so um how does it work in practice let's start there
2: so in practice mark um the pre-action protocols normally kick in so you're required to disclose evidence that you have that will reasonably assist you with your case and it's always required to be released at the earliest opportunity to allow the parties to try and settle their case. Um, the court's maxim is, is that litigation should always be seen as a last resort. So in an instance of a case, if you've got documents that you have prove your case, you are expected to have at least mentioned to, if not disclosed, those documents to the other side and made all reasonable efforts to arbitrate your claim between you before coming to the court. Um, The courts are very um, settlement-minded, and obviously if you have come to court without making reasonable attempts to settle your claim prior to the issue of court proceedings, the court generally takes a very dim view of that, and various penalties can apply if you've not taken those reasonable steps at the earliest opportunity. So what does that mean in respect to the claim then? It's always that... If you've got a document that you have, you should disclose it. If the defendant has a document that you think would assist your case or weaken their case and you know that they have it, then again the defendant is expected to disclose that document to assist with the case. Now again, this is prior to the issue of court proceedings. So different rule slightly applies to that extent. You've not been ordered at this stage to disclose your documents, but you know they've got something that you need that may assist you with your case. Um, at that point, if the defendant either refuses to disclose that document or denies that they've got that document, there's certain things you can do at that point. So you can make what's called a pre-action disclosure. So... Essentially, what that would entail is that the claimant, or even the defendant could do it as well, makes an application to the court and seeks an order from the court for what's called specific disclosure. So where that document is reasonably believed to exist, either party making the application can approach the court and say, I think they have that document or I know they have that document that document will assist me in my claim. As such, I request an order from the court that that document be disclosed to me and at that point then the court will consider the matters and make an order as to whether that document should or should not be disclosed. Following that application, if the document is disclosed, the parties are then expected to make all reasonable effort to settle the claim based on the back of that. But again, that's not always possible and
1: further litigation may then ensue. So. Um, it sounds like a really boring topic does this, uh, but what people don't realise, and, and and it's probably one of the best things I enjoyed about litigation was the whole disclosure element of it, because without a document you can't prove your case, whether it be you're trying to prove a case or whether you're ch- trying to defend your position on a case. Um, yeah. And if you don't have the documents then you can't achieve what it is that you're setting out to do. Um, and from a tactical per- perspective, there's so many options available to you um, in order to either force people's hand or set them up so that they can end up shooting themselves in the foot if ultimately they don't decide they want to play ball. So you mentioned the pre-action disclosure there. I mean, first and foremost, you c- you can force people's hand to give documents that ultimately you know that they should have in order to prove your case. And they've either got them, in which case you can make a quick determination of your position, or they don't have them, in which case happy days. And of course, if they later produce it out of the blue, which does happen, uh, you can turn around to the court and go, well, this is either not a legitimate document, or they shouldn't be allowed to rely upon it because they should have given it back months and months ago. And if you do decide that you're going to be kind and let them off with a warning, I want them to be penalised on cost to make sure that they understand that they should have done something early on. So there's a huge amount to this and people do need to listen quite carefully about this because not only is it a case of seeing stuff that will help progress the case, but from a tactical perspective, it actually makes a huge difference, doesn't it, to to how the case progresses. You can probably win a case that you might not necessarily have been as confident about winning simply because you've put somebody to prove that they need to produce some documents that all of a sudden they can't find.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's a, a great result when you can get into that stage. You, you've effectively forced them into a corner. So if you've made your pre-action disclosure application and they, you think that they've got documents that greatly assist their case, you know straight away then whether they've got them or not. If they've got them, then obviously you're going to have to reassess your own case because they're going to have to disclose them to you. and You'll have the foresight, so to speak, of what they would be. So you can then advise your client that, look, you've got no prospects here. Or on the basis of the disclosure, you can say you have great prospects equally. You then find out whether or not they've got anything that would assist them with their claim. And again, you can advise your client on the back of that going, well, we've asked for that. They've not got it. There's nothing that they can then show that would defeat your claim. So it it can be a win-win or it can be an early warning, you know. Either way, it's sometimes a a very powerful tool to use and it's a good one to have in your arsenal if you can.
1: It's where the theatrics of the legal system come into play. I I remember there's many a time where they've produced a document at, at the late stage that they didn't originally have and I've stood there in court saying they didn't have it, now they've got it, all of a sudden... You make your own mind up. My client says that this is the situation. They say that that's the situation. Who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe the person who did the full disclosure at the outset? Or are you going to believe the people who've miraculously produced the documents that they need at the last minute? And it's amazing how you can just change the whole perception of a case. I mean, that document might have been there all along. But the fact that they didn't produce it until way after they were supposed to have done can really hit quite hard in their their prospects of success.
2: Well, that's exactly it. I mean, at that stage, you have to be in the face of the court saying that, well, had that been disclosed earlier, we wouldn't be here today. It's a late service of a document. We must sort of say that it should have been disclosed when it should have been disclosed. And they can't now rely on it. Um, certainly I'd be making that argument in front of
1: the court. Well, you've got the cost benefits as well. I mean, even if you're potentially then looking down the barrel of a gun because the documents they produce blow your case out of the water, you've got every right to turn around to the court and go, well, they should have to pay for the legal costs up to this point because at the end of the day, we wouldn't be here had they have produced this six, eight months earlier when we asked for it in the first place. And so your client can potentially bail out of a case later down the stage um, simply because they didn't do the proper... Dis- um, this is where all the tactics of litigation yeah. very much come into play. Um, so I, I suppose let's down to the rules themselves a little bit, because I'm getting overexcited. Uh, <laughs> in terms of disclosure, I mean, we've obviously talked about whether people do or don't disclose things. Uh, I suppose the first thing is, what is it that they're supposed to disclose? and And kind of what efforts are they supposed to make in order to go and find it? to be able to turn around and say, here it is, or no, we don't have it?
2: Um, There's a number of ways to look at that. So the first instance is to look at the civil procedure rules. So the specific one that government says nature is CPR 31. Um, So it states what disclosure means. So there's a difference between disclosing a document. So when you disclose a document, you disclose that it exists and that you have it. It's not necessarily disclosure in this sense isn't giving it to someone, it's just stating that you have it or it existed. Um, Generally, in a litigated case, this would then be done um, on a standard form and you'd list what documents you have and what you would um, be willing to disclose um, on the basis of your case. Now, in terms of a claim, you are required to disclose all documents that you have in your possession that relate to the case. Now, you are also required to disclose all documents that assist your case, but rather strangely, you're also required to disclose all documents that could adversely affect your case, adversely affect the defendant's case, or adversely affect a third party's case as well. So it is just a case of you must disclose all documents that you have. Um, in terms of searching for them, you're required to make all reasonable efforts. Um, so you must search for any physical documents that you have. So you know your piece of the paper. You're also required to search for electronic disclosure. So that can include many various things, such as your emails, photographs, videos, charts, those sort of things as well um when you're making your disclosure um, it's on a standard form and the back of that standard form is a statement of truth when you're making that statement of truth that basically says to the court that you admit that you have reasonably carried out a search for all documents that you may have that are relevant to the case in question so if you sign that you're saying this is all that I've got and that's all that is, if something later transpires, uh, you could be in a bit of difficulty.
1: And this is where we were talking earlier about uh, perhaps the different levels of enforcement that the courts apply to, say, the likes of yourself as a as a, a a legal professional and the obligations that you have to make sure that your clients. Disclose everything that needs to be disclosed, and litigants in person who do seem to get away with it a lot easier. And and if you're smart, and and if you're a litigant in person and listening to this and thinking, oh, happy days, I can get away with blue murder, I I, I can probably name a number of occasions where the litigants in person have tried to do that. They've got away with it when they shouldn't have done, but actually in the longer run, the case suffered quite detrimentally on their part because I was able to set them up for a number of things that they were getting penalised for because they tried to to do something underhand, as it were, uh, which they thought was clever. Um, So it is very much a serious thing. If you say you don't have these documents and it turns out you actually did, you're lying to the court, which is, well, it's, it's contempt. It's perjury, isn't it? It's lying.
2: Yeah, it's contempt of court. It's a criminal offence at the end of the day. If you sign a statement of truth and you know that you're lying, essentially, uh, it's a very serious offence. The court do take a very good view of that and can be quite serious and detrimental to the person that gets found out.
1: Well, they can take criminal proceedings against you, can't they? And uh, It used to be, I don't know what it is now, but it used to be something like a, a, up to a two-year prison sentence for... For, for lying to the court so it's it's not something that people should ever take lightly that's for sure. Um, so how do you how do you get these documents? I've had a number of ways I've, I've had sort of ring binders and ring binders of, of paper documents that they've printed out and sent in the hope that I, I don't know I'd die of boredom before I even got halfway through them but it's a different world now isn't it We've got electronics that that yeah. now into the mix.
2: Oh, it's a world of difference. I mean, like you say, I can remember early days of my career, um, getting standard disclosure. And I think the other side turned up with about four uh, archive boxes full of documents. Now, they're all relevant documents, but there's a difference between relevant and relevant um, early on, you know, you're spending hours trawling through all these documents, trying to find probably the one piece of paper in about 4,000 that you actually need to help your case. But... but of
1: course, that goes back down to tactics as well, doesn't it? Because, that, yes. that, you know, paper. bury the evidence, bury the evidence yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, as you say, though, thankfully it's a, it's a different world today than it was back when we started.
1: Um, <laughs> Makes it sound so old, doesn't it?
2: I know, it's... it's uh... Wow, it's coming up for 20 years, I think, now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um, Essentially, once the other side have given you their disclosure statement, you then have to say to them, right, I want to see those documents. So you usually, on the back of a court order, have filed your disclosure statement. The court then says that if you want to inspect any of those documents, you must request inspection. And that's usually within 14 days of receipt of the disclosure statement. So you've actually got to physically ask for them. It's not necessarily right that you will just be given them. Um, once you've got them, then obviously you can have a look through them and see what the situation is there.
1: Um, I mean, in more unusual cases... Uh- you don't even get provided with a copy of them. There have been occasions when I've actually had to go physically to somebody's office because the documents are relatively confidential. They won't provide them, and it's up to me to go there, read the store, find the document that I particularly want, show it to them, and then agree there and then that that's something that I can then get a copy of and go away with.
2: Yes, that's also an alternative sometimes is the. I think I remember the old days as well where some of my older colleagues, I think when I was doing my training contract, used to say they used to have a mobile photocopier <laughs> and they would drop down <laughs> to the other party's office, photocopy the documents that they need and come back again. Um, so, you know, as I say, thankfully with the electronic process now, it, a lot of it is so much easier. You get a PDF, um, you can input the search terms you want and off it goes and finds it for you. A lot of the time, these there's... If you can get an electronic disclosure, it's much easier um, to, to move forward on that front these days.
1: And what happens if one of the parties actually says, "No, we do have this document, but you're not allowed to have a look at it,
2: there or we're not certain- going to
1: provide you a copy with provide you with the copy anyway."
2: Yeah. There are certain exemptions as to what they have and what they have to give you. So certain documentation is covered by legal privilege. So any conversation I have with my clients, either verbal or in writing, is covered by legal professional privilege. So the other side aren't entitled to see that. And any advice that, say, they have from a barrister is also covered by legal professional privilege. And that doesn't have to be disclosed to the other side.
1: Although saying that, you've got to be careful about what you disclose as well because sometimes you can waive that legal privilege by disclosing documents you think helps your case but actually forms a similar type of document to what the other side might want to see. And they can then turn around and say, well, if he's relying upon that document to help them, we should be able to see this document to be able to help us.
2: Yeah, that's it. You've got to be careful with that because sometimes you can disclose a document that is disclosable that refers to another document that isn't disclosable. But because you've referred <laughs> to it within your disclosable document, you're bound to disclose your non-disclosable document sometimes as well. It can be a tricky minefield. Um, you also walk into the realms of without prejudice correspondence. Um, sometimes I've seen defendants mostly have slipped that into their um, bundles or their disclosure list. Um, trying to prove a point, and you're then facing having to make an application back to the court to say, well, that's without prejudice. That cannot be contained within their disclosure. Um, For those that don't know, without prejudice correspondence is a correspondence that you can make into party. Um, It allows you to commence negotiations in settlement, but because it's called without prejudice, it's not allowed to be shown to the court until the court has made a decision on your claim. So basically, sometimes the defendants will slip that in to try and gain a tactical advantage against you where you've, say, made a lesser offer than you're now making later on to that sort of extent and try and say to the court, well, look what they're doing, they've done this, that and the other, but it just can't be there. And sometimes they try and use that to their advantage unbeknownst that they don't necessarily understand that it can't be there. It can cause more of a complication when they're just trying to effectively get one over on you.
1: And you thought disclosure was going to be boring people. It, uh, it is yeah. It is very much like that. I mean, this this is the crux of pretty much every case you deal with. It's the evidence that is being used on either side of the fence. And if it's not done properly, or if you use the right tactics in the right way at the right time, you can fundamentally flip a case on its head in an instant, and that's why it's so important, and and I suppose this is probably one of those situations where um, you'd probably say to a litigant in person, um, be very careful about trying to do these things on your own, you can do it on your own, um, but Not only might you get yourself into trouble if you don't follow the rules, and ignorance isn't necessarily your defence. I mean, I, I never let up on a litigant in person when they were on the other side because they didn't know what the rules were because my attitude, uh, or rather my argument to the court was always, well, they got embroiled in this. They should have gone to the effort of either getting some legal assistance or reading the rules if they decided to do it themselves. So ignorance isn't an argument. But you also, of course, miss out on a lot of the tactical expertise and experience that that you guys already have because you deal with this on a day-to-day basis.
2: That's it. I mean, certainly these days... I think the court have brought more um, emphasis to bring the litigants in person in line with the rules. Um, I think the Supreme Court issued a case a couple of years ago, a case of right fee hassle, bringing the litigants in person in line, saying, unfortunately, the rules are the rules. Um, we can give you some leniency, but at the end of the day, unfortunately, you are required to abide by them, whether you know they're there or not. And you know, if you fall afoul of them, you fall afoul of them. And you know, that kind of brought things back into line a little bit because litigants in person were um, getting a lot of leniency from the court that a represented party just wouldn't get. Um, And it brought very much an imbalance and sometimes a lot of extra cost to a case because whereas normally had both parties been represented, the case would probably settle at that hearing the court then either has to adjourn uh, a case and relist for another date because a litigating person hasn't done something or has done something wrong.
1: And what kind of penalties are we looking at if people don't do disclosure in the way that they're supposed to? We've mentioned pre-action disclosure applications, but what what kind of penalties can be uh, invoked by the court as a result of not doing what they're supposed to do?
2: Most of the time, it's obviously a cost penalty. So, where you've got to a hearing and you're suddenly being faced with something that wasn't disclosed or something was done wrong at an earlier stage, a represented party would have to say to the court, Well, had that been done correctly, we wouldn't be here today or we would be finishing today. Whereas now, we would then have to vacate this hearing and come back again. And all that incurs further cost to that, that party's client. Um, in, in our case, if, if we're at a hearing, you know, there's advocates' costs for being there. We've prepared for that hearing. We've ordered all the preparation, the cost of preparing the bundles, sending it all to court, briefing the advocates. And then suddenly find that just because someone's done something wrong, all that cost has gone to waste. So we would be asking the court for a wasted cost order. Um, certainly for the cost of the preparation of that hearing, and sometimes that can run to several hundred, if not thousands of pounds. And then we've got to come back for another hearing, again, at further cost to the the cost-paying party.
1: Uh, There's other penalties as well, isn't there? I mean, we mentioned earlier that if you don't disclose a document when you're supposed to, you then face a hurdle of whether or not you can actually rely upon that document, irrespective of how important it might be to your case, Later on down the line, there's been a number of times where even the day before a trial, this document has magically appeared and they've had to make an application on the day of the trial asking for permission to be able to rely upon this document at this late stage.
2: Yeah, that happens. Um, It happened to me in a hearing the other day. At that point, they've got to make what's called a Denton application. So they've got to get effectively a relief from sanction. That document should have been disclosed at an earlier stage, and it wasn't. It's technically not now the admissible document, and they would have to make an application in the face of the court at that time for permission to rely upon that document. Um, it's then at the discretion of the court as to whether or not they will allow that. Um, the hearing I did the other day, the court just said, no, it should have been disclosed in line with the relevant order. It wasn't. Tough. And in that case, it weakened the defendant's case, something, well, it completely weakened the defendant's case. And um, They had not disclosed the documents they should have done, and we were able to proceed, and basically we got judgment for our clients on, on quite favourable terms because of it.
1: Now, that doesn't necessarily guarantee you success. If they can't rely upon a document you, and you end up at trial, there is still that risk. But there is other slightly more clear-cut ways in which you can end up winning as a result of a non-disclosure of a document. Uh, and by that, I'm sort of talking about the unless order situation and being struck out.
2: That's it. So, um, so yeah, where the defendant is ordered to disclose a document, certainly when I look at things like that, I would be asking the court to put an unless order behind that order. Or
1: what, so, do, so what do we mean by an unless
2: order? So in that instance, what I would be asking the court to say is that the defendant do disclose this document by a given date. And if that document is then not disclosed by that date, the unless order would be unless that document is disclosed by that date, the court can put the power in to strike out the defence entirely and or put a cost penalty to it as well in, in some instances.
1: And and by and by strikeout we're we're essentially saying that the they lose the case. So The the order is you produce this document that might be integral to defending the claim, and if you don't do it by this day, then basically your case is is thrown out and the other side wins by default.
2: Yeah, that's it. Um, It's a great tool if you can use it again um, to get that unless order in there because it effectively puts the defendant under a whole host of pressure. yeah, sometimes DLS order is a great tool to have. It puts the pressure onto the defendant. And as I say, sometimes it can lead to settlement happening because they're just under so much pressure to get that document that sometimes they might not be able to get their hands on within that time limit.
1: And it's not necessarily the end of the earth if you know that the other side have got a document and they come back and say, oh, I don't have that document. Um, because... It can often be turned again to your advantage. You might really want to see or have this document because you know it's going to really give your case a, a boost. Um, but it's not; they're just not forthcoming with it. it. It's not transpiring. You can't get hold of it. It's 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 just within the realms of reach, and it's not quite there. But there is another solution available, isn't there? Because you've got what what we in the trade call the Part 18 questions, which basically gives you what I call a cricket bat that you can (laughs) hit them over the head with (laughs) to basically make them admit the things that you know are in that document that they can't produce for whatever reason.
2: Yeah, that's always a great one. It's, It's Essentially, part 18 is for further and better information. So it allows you to ask questions of the other side. And as you say, you can lead them down the garden path to some extent to give you the information that you need that's not in the document that they've either not got or or can't disclose. And once you've got that, you know, again they have to answer those part eighteen questions. And if they don't, you can make an application for an order that they do. And again, at that point you're looking at either you get the information you want or they're creaking and it may lead to a settlement off the back of that again
1: oh it's bringing back some fond memories here john that i have to be honest <laughs> um there's, there's been many a time when a document hasn't come to fruition and and then now uh, you've basically asked them a list of questions that essentially get them to either have to admit that the document must exist in order for them to say the answers that they know will help them or they have to say no there isn't such a document because otherwise we would have been able to produce it at which point you're sitting pretty really it's 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 crazy
2: Yeah, it's a helpful tool to have in the back of that where, uh, as you say, you either know a document exists and for whatever reason they've not got it or or aren't disclosing it.
1: So in terms of helping the listeners for this episode, what what we always try and do is arm people with the ability to help themselves so far as they want to or so far as they feel comfortable in doing but ultimately saying, look, if you get to this point and you're asking yourself these questions, you really do need to go and get yourself some help. I mean, where in this process are we we saying? I mean, because obviously we would say get some help from the outset, but that always will sound slightly tainted by virtue of the fact that you get paid from the start, and therefore, of course, you'd say that. Uh, But I, I think I'm hoping from what people have heard us discuss today they will quickly realise that that's. we're not saying that for that reason. There's actually a huge amount of, of benefit that can be gained from having someone who knows how to manipulate that situation, uh, irrespective of how it seems to pan out, to best suit your best interests.
2: So always the way there's so many pitfalls you can fall into if you're not wary or don't know or understand what you're looking at. Oh... We would say it time and time again, in litigation, it can go very, very wrong, very, very quickly. And always, you know, there are times when clients have come to us and we've had to go, right, okay, you're in a bit of a hole here. And sometimes we've had to just start again. I'd always say at the earliest opportunity that you can seek professional advice. Um, the minute you're not sure or the minute it goes wrong, sooner rather than later because sometimes it's just so far down the road that there's nothing we can do to fix it bar try and get you out of it as quickly and cheaply as possible so always 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 come and get some advice we're always happy to help any questions you've got just let us know
1: and just to be clear these rules that we've discussed about i mean i said at the outset a useful episode to listen to for people will be episode four which is very much around the litigation process but this is something that actually applies to any type of legal matter doesn't it
2: yeah that's it it's going to come across the board no matter where you're at if you're at a small claim for getting 200 pounds deposit back off your landlord or if you're in a multi-million pound business merger or disputed contract this is going to come across the board no matter what type of litigation you've got there
1: so uh, if people want to get in touch to get some help, some advice, or they've they figured that you are the cunning fox that we always knew you were, how can they get in touch <laughs> to, to get some help?
2: Many points of access. So they can give us a call, 0151 637 2034. Uh, they can get in touch via the website, johnsonandboone.co.uk. Uh, we've got a Facebook page, Twitter's account, and uh, an Instagram page as well. Um, So any which way is easiest for our clients, we'd love to to hear
1: from them. Brilliant. And uh, what topic are we going to be covering next?
2: Uh, Next week is a surprise, Mark.
1: (laughs) We're going to be inviting you guys, the listeners, aren't we, to uh, make your suggestions on what, what you think might be of interest. Uh, to discuss in further detail, so you can check that out next time. Uh, Jonathan, thank you very much for that. It's uh, if if the listeners haven't enjoyed it, I know I certainly have, and I never expected that was going to be the case from the outset.
2: No, as you say, it can be a dull topic, but it's one that's very important with litigation. And As I say, it's easy to get it wrong, but hopefully we've enlightened a few more people as to the process and hopefully these a little along the way for them.
1: Well, thank you very much for joining me, mate. We'll catch you all next time.
2: Cheers,
0: mate. Take care. Get social at Johnson & Boone on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter.